0: (音楽) Members of Darwin Said the Marème Spain Sh demean It's actually been released Between taking away clay Five weeks ago after death Welcome to the One Inch Barrier. I am your host, one Carlos Ohano. So, I hope you're all staying safe and staying healthy and staying at home. So, a quick reminder that the Patreon page is up and running. The first bonus episode of the season is already up. We're doing a retrospective on the 2019 International Feature Film nominee. So, you already started with Painting Glory. Uh, be sure to check our next episodes. So for this episode, we are going to talk about the film that won Best Foreign Language Film at the 60th Academy Awards. That film is Babette's Feast, or in its original language, Babette's Gestewood, written and directed by Gabrielle Axel. So this was Denmark's first win and fourth nomination. So this film is about twin sisters Martine and Philippa, both spinsters who are daughters of a pastor who has since passed. And they deliver food ration to the elderly of their town on a regular basis. And they also lead the uh, congregational meetings of the church that their father has established. One night, this Parisian woman named Babette arrives and asks that they let her stay in their home. So after acquiescing to her request, the... The sisters let Babette become their cook. And then, in celebration of their father's 100th anniversary, the sisters plan on having a simple meal to celebrate that. However, Babette volunteers to take charge of the preparations to the dinner after she wins 10,000 francs in a lottery. That's a quick summary of Babette's feast. So, our guest for today is from the Philippines. You have heard her in the 2010 episode where we discussed the In a Better World. She's a poetess, a cinematographer, and a fellow UP Film Institute alumnus. I'm so happy to have her back on the show. Please welcome Jail Mir. Hey, what's up? Hello. Are we good? How are you doing? Good. How are you <laughs> I'm half asleep <laughs> yeah so I'm so happy to have you back because uh the first time I had you, it was in the first season and you know it's almost a year because we, we I think we recorded on June and now half a half a year has passed I'm happy so happy to have you back on this episode so yeah happy to have you back. Happy to be here. Happy to serve. <laughs> so, happy uh, to serve. <laughs> yeah. So, can you tell our listeners where can they find you on the internet?
1: Right now, I have no. Uh, I I discontinued my blog, which I I I asked your listeners to follow last time. So I discontinued it. So you can find me at Mir So I'm I'm tweeting my random thoughts there.
0: There you go. And um, yes, hope they can find you there. So, Babbitt's Feast. Um, this is your first time watching it, right?
1: Mm, first time. Mm-hmm.
0: So, I don't know if we had a friend in college who liked Babbitt's Feast or maybe it was a different kind of film. Uh, but, first impressions, this is also my first time. What do you think of Babbitt's Feast?
1: My experience watching it was that I was I was smiling towards the end and I I kept smiling <laughs> up until the film finished. So that was my experience of it. In other words, it made me feel um, joyful watching it. Or it it was very it's a very pleasurable film to watch. And my overall impression would be that I like it. I appreciated it. The sentiments, the Kasi parang I, I thought that it also came with age. na parang at this age, I'm I'm twenty six. I'm still young. We're still young, naman. Pero we kind of look at things more differently than we do we, we did in the in the past. So I kind of relate to the sentiments about uh, parang living a simple life or choosing spirituality over like material gains or material achievements. So I think I'm already at that age where I can, when I can relate to that kind of sentiment. So I like it super as in parang I would consider it a favorite
0: thing. Yeah, settling down, Char. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Um, (laughs) this is one of those rare films in this uh, podcast where you know um, I think with the winners that we have talked about um, this past seasons I really like take I really take notes a lot of times because either the subject matter is really heavy or has historical context or says something huge about um, society or it's already too problematic that I just have to point out certain things. This is one of those rare times when I really had, um, did not take notes a lot of times during the film, just because I think it is simple. And it's not, it's yeah. not, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not anything against the film. It is simple and it is, it, doesn't have a lot of huge conflict in it actually the biggest conflict is more of a a religious conflict within the people in the story and yet it is also handled in a very quiet way i really what stuck with me is that the film is very low-key it is quiet you feel good like you said um a lot of there's just lightness in it you know um I feel this undercurrent of positivity when watching it. And when you we talk about films like a film being oh it's light. It may it may be mistaken to be like oh it's a lesser film because it's light. No, no it's really hard to pull off something that's light and also meaningful because that tone of a film can make a film prone to be taken for granted. And I don't think the film is taking its topics for granted. Um, it doesn't push the feel-good tone too hard. It just lets the characters be. Let the story be. And there's this confidence in the quietness, that, that trust in that Alright, we don't have big conflicts. We don't have huge dramatic moments. We don't... Um, the characters are very... Pa- uh, not passive, very quiet. <laughs> so they don't... E- every small conflict is resolved within the same scene with a meeting. But usually when we talk about film, when, when in terms of writing, because we're both writing scripts, oh, conflict, conflict, conflict. You should put this conflict here, conflict there to make the story more engaging, push the narrative forward. This one, the way it uses conflict is very delicate. So, and it, I don't know. I, I love how it trusts its characters in that even in the smallest of conversations even when there is no huge conflict we are engaged in this story
1: i want to react to a number of things you mentioned so first is that you did not feel the need to take notes i feel that it's largely because of the form or the way the filmmaker made the film it's not just simple uh content wise it's also it's also has a lot to do with the form because it's um you, you would call it a very formalist film so uh, that being said it makes you relax so it makes for example it makes you settle in the film so you don't notice the editing you barely notice the cinematography because that's how, that's what a good formalist film would do so it's masterfully crafted and uh, the details are presented to you and you would uh, call it quote unquote simple, but I, I but I would relegate that to the really the masterful handling of the filmmaker and the uh, how like how the text is very formalist. So you can you can relax, you can just watch the film because uh, it would give you what you need. So but content wise it's not simple. It has a very actually it's very rich content wise but with the way the film was made you would think that it's a simple film but after after watching it there's a lot of reflections that you can actually unpack from that from that film and then you could say it's very religious it's very philosophical it really has a lot to offer and I would sort of Uh, like to react to your parang sentiment about conflict. So it's also related kasi with with how the film was made. I think that the conflict is very internal. Kaya it, it would seem like it's a very quiet film because a lot of the tensions there are internal. It's actually an internal journey. That's why it's a religious text because the characters, they transform based on their based on their spirituality or it's an internal journey for example how would they turn away from from what um from god from what god is telling them to do for example for felipe and martin they know that they should dedicate their lives to they should humble themselves for god so that is their that's, that's i think is at their core of their characters and then there comes two men who has a different set of baggage uh, that they carry so for example the soldier he wants to prove to the world that that he can he can be someone he can achieve great things and it's the same with the with the opera singer only the opera singer wants the The woman wants Philippa to be the one to prove that she can be great, but then uh, for Philippa and Martin, that would go against their core um their core belief or what makes them them is that they want to dedicate their lives humbly to God, to their community. So they're not thinking of worldly aspirations. So I think that conflict there and. It's very internal. It's almost like you can't settle this with anything physical. You can't settle this kind of conflict with, or you don't need to. You don't need like a big, big physical. It's like a meditation, a prayer. It's very internal. It's an internal journey overall.
0: Yeah, and just, just um, to add to that, uh, what really struck me also in the film is that. Um, you know it, it, it is you feel good watching it but I think usually when one thinks of a feel good film uh, I on a formalist reading I was expecting a lot for a score because I think a lot of feel good films they have music or a score that does the heavy lifting to manipulate you to make you feel good with this one you feel good because of the nature of the story and of the characters and I'd like to just um, uh, to say something about it being simple is that I feel like the film has this parable like quality where the st- mm. going back to religious uh, readings is that parables are simple you know you read a story that's you you read a story there's a morale you understand it but at the same time, You can also unpack it in many ways and go through symbolisms and all the readings, and everything means something. But when you read a parable, like for example, when you read about the parable of the prodigal son or the prodigal, um, parable, many parable stories in the Bible, read it, it's short, you understand it, but then it also holds up if you scrutinize it. And you get more when you actually scrutinize it. So that's where um, I think it being simple actually makes sense. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to say that the film doesn't have a lot of layers. It's just that I was just reminded of that parable like quality of the storytelling, which makes sense in its entirety. Since I do think that the film is consciously religious. Um, the text is consciously religious I mean it doesn't I mean it doesn't um, it doesn't try to uh, I don't know what is the to frame, phrase this is that The film is not really in reverence of the of the institution but I think it's a more experiential take on faith because, you get, about, you get films about religion and religiosity and they're mostly about them manifesting their faith or like them, um, you know, very obvious manifestations of faith. I think this one, it shows you faith in action really. So um, there is richness in that. And I don't know, I love how it tackles faith because it's not in your faith, but it's clearly about faith.
1: I love that we're trying to decipher why we are feeling good about the film and then you mentioned that it's it's sort of accepting of institutional it's parang, it's accepting of institutional views so it's it's outwardly a religious text. So in that way, maybe I can deduce that, we feel good because it offers us a way of life, the way religion would offer us a way of life. So it offers us a a frame or a myth to view our life. So in that sense, it's kind of a little bit escapist because it's a myth. It it's like it's like telling us that as long as you dedicate your life to God, even if you do not achieve anything even if you remain poor and then the other people remain rich you still win it's a myth. it's it's offering us a myth it's it's offering us a, rel- a religion on its own through the film but but what makes me backtracks and then also consider this like consider appreciating the film more than just critiquing it as a myth i i said it i said it a while ago maybe it comes with age that were yes that where. Mm -hmm. Diba? That's one thing. But also maybe that's why we're backtracking is because of the way it also handled and presented class or class, um, class or power struggle. So it actually presented class and power struggle in the film, but it subverted the presentation or it didn't politicize it enough. But I don't know. What I'm trying to say is, why do why do we feel accepting of this considering that we would normally feel bothered by by the lack of politicization but with this film it's like parang it's a different frame parang it's offering a different lens that's why maybe everything within the film works parang parang i'm not sure if, if we should if if it would work if, for example, we have a Marxist lens or we have a different lens to to view life. So it's actually one myth, uh, one myth or one lens you can view life from. And and if it makes you, if it brings you joy, if it makes you like happy, I don't know, maybe maybe there's something about mm, the film. And then you also mentioned that. Uh, Pope Francis is a fan of this film, yeah.
0: so mentioned it before gives- we started recording.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> before we started recording, so mm, I think that gives the way, the film away, dibba. Right? Parang it's really uh, it's really espousing a certain view of life. So it's not, parang it's not just um. But then it's up to you if you would, if you would accept this view of, or, or if you would um, accept this myth. Because for me, uh, this type of myth, I can I can still uh, use it in my everyday life. And then I can still somehow fit it with other myths or other lenses. But I'm not sure with other
0: people. Yeah, I think I agree with what you're saying. Um, in terms of faith, and that, uh, and it, and you know, it is this very specific lens. Um, that you know what? Let, I think we're both we're both believers. We can admit that faith is escapist to a point, because you know, um, when someone is really and well, of Christian ideology, which I think the film really harbors specifically, um, there are bigger things than the. Th- the things of this world you know um it of course people are poor people suffer we, there is injustice but at the same time there is this thinking of like well you know like if you do this you would be this in the afterlife or like there is this always thinking of the afterlife or w- what god would give you or like oh, um so there's always there is this thing of it's not fully about this world which can be read as escapist, but at the same time, that lens simplifies things, um, simplifies life, uh, a viewpoint, because, um, which, you know, you can say like, it's either right or wrong, but probably somewhere in between, because um, uh, if a person is probably um, not faith, is not, not, not a believer, and uh, is uh, really bothered by the world problems that we have, which we that's a rational way of thinking, Um, probably a believer would be like, oh, we're poor, but we have God. Or like, oh, we're poor, but we have the afterlife. And that's where we get a reward for being kind, even if we're poor. So there's this um, holding on to something that is... uh, not material for now. That viewpoint. Um which I think the film gets because and the film understands because I do experience a lot of times I cringe with films about religious characters just because I don't think they're able to translate mm-hmm. fully um religiosity. It's beyond words. It's beyond text. And I think uh the the language of faith is more nuanced than just manifesting that i believe in god and all this jazz i think the film does it so well because it's quiet and it's really quiet but it has the small actions done by the characters and i don't know it it, a i i love that fact you know that there's this confidence in this way of storytelling because i do feel that i would probably struggle when i write something when i write about a religious character just because also when you have faith, a lot of conflicts are internal, but they can get resolved easily, you know, because you have faith that kind of resolves conflicts and the film has that, you know, for example, even if the big, in the biggest conflict, I guess is when the parishioners are like, Oh, there's this witchcraft (laughs) that Babette is probably doing. Let's just eat. And, uh, you know, let's just wait and see. And, you know, they're not very confrontational at all. So, you know, that's the thing. Faithful people have conflict. But at the same time, faithful people also experience some resolving of conflict almost immediately because of that faith. So how do you balance those two on a storytelling level? Babel's Feast gets it, I think. Gets it so well.
1: Mm. Uh. Parang it will get us into a rabbit hole if we start to nitpick the ideology of Babbitt's face more than we we talk about the film because if we are talking at the ideological level, the ideology of Babbitt's face is already very, very clear and very forward, and it is what it is. So Param. It's either we subscribe. It's either the viewers subscribe to that ideology or they don't subscribe to that ideology. But the film is what it is, if on an ideological uh, level. So what I think one problem that uh, it presents, or, uh, I can sort of uh, put out there as one last thing before like I move to to commenting on the film itself more than the ideology of the film is that it empowers the uh, it empowers the poor so for example someone like me who's, parang who's uh, who experiences material struggles in everyday life i find it empowering so we can also question our like petty uh, petty bourgeois uh, background if we are if uh how how can we readily um, how can we readily criticize faith if it empowers um if it if it is empowering to to um to certain classes also but that being said of course we cannot also dis- disregard um the the problems that re- uh, religion itself us to to like to the to the whole world itself or how the world is organized but as I've said it will get us into a rabbit hole if if we only focus on the ideology of the of the film more than um, the literariness or the or the the film itself so I'm saying this because I think, Part of why we are forgiving of the ideology of the film is because it is masterfully crafted, not just uh, form-wise, but also literary-wise. So you have characters with definite goals, or not, ju- not, go- not goals per se, but you have characters who you can understand, you can relate to, and then you have um certain elements there, like intertextuality, you have references like, to the wedding of Kanaan, and then you have all these elements working together to make to make a really good film. That's why, that's why maybe the ideology is,
0: uh, <laughs> I think it's I think it's because the ideology is strongly intertwined to the text itself.
1: Mm-mm. What do you mean, What do you mean by the ideology is strongly intertwined? I, mean, I, think,
0: that, exactly. I think that you know it just it doesn't just discuss faith in its film. I think the film is not just looking at faith in a ter- third uh third third part <laughs> third 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 person view. Third world. Third, third person world. Third, <laughs> third world <laughs> <laughs> I think that the film really subscribed <laughs> to that. That's why Every every character detail, every uh, re- response, every um, turn of event. I I think that's why for me it was kind of hard sometimes to separate it too because I think the film really goes into that uh, you know faith being part of the text and not just being discussed. You know because we can see films like you know that there is a more objective view and then there are people of uh, faithful people being focused on but i think the film is in that headspace of where this isn't this isn't a view that's away from the faithful i think this is an immersion to a town that is and doesn't (laughs) judge them or maybe even is the film itself is a manifestation of faith because of how linked it is to certain aspects of faith um i agree that um you know there's if we're gonna talk about ideology of Babbitt's feast that's a centuries old <laughs> um ideology that we can we need a theology or something but I do want to get back to the one of the first things you said if this you said that this film is a formalist film um how do you how do you know if a film is formalist indeed Hmm.
1: For me, when you say, uh, when you say formalist, so you would, um, it's, uh, formalist is a term used. Parang it's, it, it's, um, it's signal, it, formalist will signal that you can study the text through close reading. That's what, it, that's what formalism is. And um, it's also linked with uh, new criticism. Which was uh, forwarded by critics to um, to to rationalize that film or art or literature can be studied, so it's a valid academic. Um, it's a valid academic study that you can view objectively. For example, there are elements in a film that you can study that you can say that. Um, this shot means this. This shot. So you share a common language. So those are the things that, uh, when you bring the term formalism, uh, those are the things that will uh, signal that this is a formalist film. So I say this with Babbitt's, uh, uh, Babbitt's fist, because uh, for first on a on a screenplay level, it's formalist because it's trying it's trying to tell a story and it's telling it in a way that is very structured so you as an audience can actually can actually identify the turning points you can identify the main characters it's really meant to to get the message across to the to the to the viewers to the audience and the other elements there that uh that is being presented uh, for example the cinematography and the editing all of those elements are meant to service the story and then forward it in such a way that the viewers can read it and can access it its purpose is really to to tell the story and then it's it's really when you watch it by its really a film you can tell that it's really a, it's really a film parang it adheres to all the elements that this is a this it's 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 uh saying that it's a film
0: yeah it it doesn't try to break any of the of the conventions of the um of the fiction narrative fictional narrative storytelling that we know um yeah so kind of um kind of going back to the source material this film was based on a 1950 1958 short uh, story by Karen Blixen, or Isaac Dinesen, her pen name. Um. Do you think... Do you think its short... Its story roots... Is it reflected in the film? Or uh, do you even notice if... Do you even notice if a film is, is based on a short story? Like... Are there like signals or that you notice as a writer? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, how do you figure that out?
1: Even before you mentioned it, it was based on a short uh, story, I already sensed that it has this uh, certain literariness to it. And I called it, in my mind, I called it a literary film. So these are the films that you can sense the... Para it works like a short story it would it would work it would work well as a short story and then it also it also parang did a great job as a film so and then it's it's also one of those films that it's really fiction film so it's not it's not poetry film it's fiction uh, it's it's fiction even with the way that it's trying to tell its message. Through fiction, through the characters, through what happens to the characters, through the through what is um physicalized on the stage. So what is physicalized is the f- the fist itself. That's one of the highlights that maybe we can talk, we can uh, focus on because the f- the fist sequence was a splendid uh, sequence, well thought of, and then all of the realizations happening during that sequence and you don't feel it that the filmmaker is trying to make you access these realizations. For example, the realization that the poor can be happier than the rich was established during that sequence. And how did the filmmaker did that exactly? It's so parang It's a splendid sequence for me.
0: Yeah. That dinner sequence, um, there is this... I think the, f- the film does, its, does a good job of slowly escalating things, even before that sequence. Um, I don't know what you feel about its um, time jump to the past with the twins when they were younger. But once Babette comes in, you know it, it's set up as a disruption, as a disruption of the status quo. And it, it almost feels like inevitable that it would go here. So you feel this escalation, this build up to this moment. And I love that in that moment where I think that is the feast, you know, that's Babbitt's feast. It's the highlight of the film. It's an extended sequence. It lasts for, I don't know, 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes. It pieces things very quietly you get you, you almost feel like this reaction reaction of this person plus babbit cooking babbit cooking plus another dialogue thrown it's it's almost like the way they were taught us in editing that a plus b equals c and i love that it's quietly little by little pieces information about Babbitt about the town about the characters and their reaction to it how each of the person each the person in the table has their own journey and it's almost as if it's almost as if um Babette is the only one who's steady but at the same time um she's the one being unpacked in the moment um so we just see her cooking you know she she just and there's this person i think is it a driver and who is in the also in the kitchen that she gives food to like wine so she's just babet herself is almost like almost enigmatic and then she's being revealed by the food and by the people's reaction to the food and i just i for me it was like this is so quiet but you know this is exciting because a lot of Character movements um, internally, and then you see how they react. And of course, who can deny um, the gorgeous food, um, food styling, food styling? <laughs> but yeah, it, it is, it is a, um, it is a wonderful moment of the film. Probably, it's a highlight.
1: The whole film is actually building up to that to that moment. So you have. For the whole film, you have anticipation. You keep waiting. What is this film about? And then you get to the, the Babbitt's face and then you have this realization Aha! this is what the film is about. And maybe the reason why parang, parang it brings out a smile is because you actually waited for that moment and it gets you worried that the, it's, something bad is going to happen or whatever. But then when you get to what the film is about, it's actually very, parang you get a, you almost get a sigh of relief na parang ah okay this is what the film is about. So there's, there's no tragedy. There's no um, uh parang witch hunt that will happen. It's just this feast and the food and the happiness that it brings to the to the to the people who are consuming the food the artistry of making a, a food and then that final uh, final sequence when Babbitt turns to Philippa and says, an artist is never poor. So you have all these things going on. <laughs> well, I have no word it make, except that it will make you smile. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all of those
0: things. Yeah, and also the film... Um... The film... I forgot my train of thought, but I was going somewhere. Um, Just a sec. Oh, yeah. It is a really good, good build-up, but at the same time, I think it subverts expectations because usually, when you build up to something, it's an explosion. And this one, it's more of an observation. You observe everything that's happening, you piece it together, and then by the end, like, the film still gives gives you this moment of um, understanding a little bit of Babette and the whole thing. I mean, she remains to be an enigma until the end, but at least um, it's almost this... Like I said, it's almost structured like a parable in a sense that you have the morale. The moral by the end. But. It's beautiful because. It's not. Delivered as like. The normal moral in a story. Where like. Oh our lesson for today is blah blah blah. I think this is just more. An organic character building. And uh, with Bavette. Uh, every word. Kind of means. Has some weight. And by the end it is a. a a wonderful payoff to everything that has happened before. Everything makes sense. And it's not a huge twist, but it's more of something that kind of brings the thesis of the film about Faith in a in a complete wrap-up. (laughs) Bye-bye. I'm reminded of the
1: the scene that the filmmaker uh, puts there when when Babette casually mentioned that she has a friend who's, uh, parang who's uh, paying for her lottery ticket to be renewed uh, every year. So parang I identified that scene that it's going to be important later on. So it, it it kind of excited me. But then when she won the, the lottery, parang there's some mood being set there that this might turn tragic or parang she might be tempted to use that money for for some kind of parang gain that would put the sisters in jeopardy or something but then it doesn't happen so you get a sigh of relief by the time that the feast is being served and the funny thing is parang these the film sort of pokes fun of the general parang because the general is the only one parang who is parang shocked of the quality of food because it was also established earlier that, 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 that the townspeople will not react to the taste of the food and they will only talk about uh, their founder because they, they are worried that the food will make them uh, sinful or, or parang something. So by the time that they are eating the dinner, the townspeople became very sophisticated people. Parang, they're, parang they appeared as if they are used to having this feast. And they are not the ones being uh, parang poked fun of by the film. The, 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 the one who's really being poked fun of is the general. Parang that's, that's, the, that's one detail that I, the, parang I really like about the film. Parang the way it handles those kind of nuances, parang, galing, parang. It's very fun. I can feel the joy of the filmmaker making that film parang for the first time. I was reminded of the joy of making films. Parang. Oh no. <laughs> it doesn't have to be <laughs> it doesn't have to be parang toxic. We're suffering coming.
0: Yeah, I, I I I I remember the film, and I look back, and I see, uh, I kind of you know the townspeople are actually the ones shocked, but they have to tone it down, and there's this general who probably is exposed to that food already, but it's like shocked of, it the quality that's there, and there's like no one's in the same page, <laughs> like, and I almost feel like the director is like you know. <laughs> There's masterfully planning tones and like character shifts and like, I you know it's it's, but at the same time it's it's really quiet. So like you know you're almost like holding. You're like, wait, is something gonna happen? Why is this very quiet? This whole thing mm-hmm. because this is very, funny, joyful, um, so much is going on, but yet it's distilled into like, oh, do you like the wine? I remember mm-hmm. the pastor, and I'm like. No one's matching. <laughs> no one. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Even the tiny detail when David, uh, Parang told the, the, the boy who's serving just leave the bottle with the general. So that's also telling na the the poor have these resources. It's almost like a miracle. So it's an intertextual reference to the wedding at Canaan when God provided it was really God who provided them the the atmosphere and then the the overflowing wine and the uh, to to uh, commemorate their founder so parang kanda talaga.
0: you know what I, I missed the, the wedding at Canaan reference so I kind of hate myself for that uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but going with that, Um, because the film is admittedly um, a religious text in the truest sense of the word. It's not just depicting a religious figure, but it's about people and their faith. Did you also see Babette as kind of a messianic Jesus Christ figure? Because Babette is almost like this... um, She was sent um very selfless offered her uh, offered her work her life's work um you know she got some money she spent it all and you know she and she says she never runs out i will work without pay she provides food there is this and we don't really get to know much about her aside from the fact that um her family was killed in Paris. So there's almost this sacrificial nature to her character. When the, when I was watching it, this really reminds me of um, a Jesus Christ-like character. Did you also feel the same way? There's that,
1: um, there's that aspect that parang uh, Babbitt was set as a messiah, but at the same time, I think that Babbitt is still a very human character. She's more close to human than being God to me, To uh, at least for me, the way I viewed it. Because I think one of the central questions to um, or challenges to religion is when people ask, why do bad things happen if God is true? So that's, that's one of the central problems of religion as an institution. And I think the film responded to that because... The, the film's answer is even if bad things happen for example um Babbitt's family was killed even if bad things happen uh it's because god has a plan and god, god's plan was as simple as serving the feast for the townspeople for the poor so it's it's sort of it it's like saying that the war happened all the all of those bad things happened for this small town to have that to have that one night to be saved. Mm-hmm. Parang it's it's uh it's also it's also an an ideological response I think. So uh going back to to uh to the character of Babbitt, I don't think that she was put there as a messiah but more of a another human character who will fit perfectly in God's plan. Parang ganun.
0: No, yeah, I just I, I I don't I didn't think of her as a Messiah. Just think of her as kind of a messianic in a way that she has those characteristics. But at the same time, it's almost as if, all right, this one I don't know how how much the filmmaker reached in terms of like um in- integrating faith to the text, but the the Christian uh um thinking of like if you're a Christian, you you will re- at at some point resemble christ or like you know do the same things and that he did or like believe in the things that he did so this kind of replication of like when someone is a believer you are becoming you're being formed or modeled after the christ so with Babbitt, i think that's that's what i was saying is that she's a human being but at the same time her act which was treated at first as like a disruption even as evil you know uh, with jesus mm-hmm. christ um in terms of the biblical text she he was treated as some sort of evil at the time in the jewish times In if we're basing it on the biblical text so but the film is not proclaiming that she is like that it's just saying that you know she follows certain footsteps which i think is a true manifestation of the faith that Babbitt has, even if it meant unconventional, disruption of the norm, of the usual practice of faith. That's why I really loved her because, you know, there's so much to unpack to that character. We really don't know much about her, but we know enough to understand that um we might never fully know her, but what we know is a person of true faith of true kindness of true goodness and her language of love is um, what she's good at just cooking and that is like I said the film ends with a note about artists not running out not being poor I mean you know what financially speaking we do but at the same time artists has so much to offer in terms mm. of um, what's inside even if they lack outside we would know
1: Parang uh, parang, taking off from what you, you were just saying, I remember one shot in the film when Babbitt was first revealed. Parang, it's the shot is sort of implying that Babbitt can be like uh parang sinister character with the way she was shot. Because it was a pan to to Babbitt, and then you have a contrast to to the two Puritan sisters, and you, you your first thought would be. Maybe maybe Bobbitt is a in is a sinister character, but then in the end she turns out to be one of the faithfuls. So for me, that's really that's another interesting uh thing that the film does. And then another thing is that um it makes you participate in in being patient. So you have to in the same way that the characters had to be patient to, 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 uh, to see God God's plan in the end, parang you also have to be patient to to get to the ending of the film.
0: you nang yeah, and, and also <laughs> going to the, no, going to the, going with that. I love that the most of the film is um kind of going with cinematography. Most of the film has soft lighting. Um, or you know not really a lot of contrasts and then the first time we see Babette is in dark night and in dark um hood so there is this setting up to be someone that would be different from the rest of the uh, town and um, I, I think the film also kind of sets up you know um, I think it's been a long standing thing and criticism actually of believers is that a lot of believers when they see someone different they think of them immediately as evil and that condemnation and that kind of shows the superficial faith of someone when someone just sees someone um when a faithful sees see someone um not following not strictly following this the, the norm of the, the cons- customs the first instinct is to say that's evil and that's The film also kind of unpacks that hypocrisy of the faithful. That's why I even like it more. It's because it's also conscious of that. It's not just fully um, showing the faith and faithful on a positive note. It also shows some of its... um, rougher edges and how can actually it be reconciled if we just reach out if we just let them do their thing if we just don't judge immediately you know if just let them sit for a while and let them do their work because I think faithful people can get very judgmental and they don't give the space for people to sh- to show who they really are faithful people because they are a lot of people, people are so very adherent to the text. They are also expecting conformity to everyone. And I think Babbitt's Feast explores how non-conformity doesn't even doesn't always mean evil. It just has to you just have to wait and see. And like I said, patience. The film is patient, but it's never boring. It's it takes its time. It's slow. You know, you see moments that you know, she just bought something at the store, like a slice of bacon. That's the scene. That's it's in those small details that increment the development of the character, characters in the story. Which by then, when we have finally this this dinner, it's glorious because they're coming together and it's in a beautiful way. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel manipulative. It's just um a result of careful setting up of. Symbolisms and character moments and details and flaws and, like, build-up and history. Choo-choo.
1: It, uh, it also sets up the hypocrisy with the townspeople, right? Because the, the townspeople are always bickering with each other. And they also committed scenes like adultery or even stealing, cheating. So it, it effectively sets up that um that hypocrisy in the, in religious people that you were talking about. And then I remember one scene with Babbitt when she first uh, learned how to cook the, the food that the townspeople are eating. The the one wh- where they cook the fish and then it turns into a parang brown, parang champurad, parang it's ba? Parang, and then who would, who would have got it by the end? She would be a splendid cook, or she would be, para, para a professional, uh, no cook, right? So those kind of details really, really made the film beautiful.
0: Yeah, and she's not self-righteous, you know. She she knows how to freaking cook. I mean, she she cook at a uh, cafe anglais. Okay, uh, ca- what was the name of the place? Cafe. And- it, a
1: restaurant
0: in Paris. In France, but, Mm-mm. Yeah. but instead of like saying, well, I know how to cook, you know, she just let let people kind of do the judgment on her. And that's another manifestation of, of a true uh, Christian faith is that, all right, so, you know, I I, I won't be judging because here are people... Um, you know, physically congregating. They are obviously believers, but they have their own hypocrisy here. And here's Babette, who is a disruptor, but she harbors true faith. You know, she isn't really judging a lot of people. She she just offers herself and let, let her work speak for herself. And um, I really loved it. Um, what do you think of, you know, it being b- writing, narration, what do you think of that narration? It's a third-person narration as well.
1: Mm. The narration for me uh, serves as a, a device to establish the parable mood or the it's just parang it's setting up the tone of the film but later on it disappears. It, it the, the narration is completely eradicated and the film just happens just unfolds without the without the need to continue the narration or even to wrap to use that uh, narrating voice to wrap up the film so for me its purpose was primarily to to give that uh, parable like tone to the film and then it's also a formalist device to make sure that uh, we know the characters we can separate them from each other because there's a time there's also a time um time jump within the film but it's not functional but it's not completely functional because the film begins with the present and then jumps to the uh two suitors so that those are the parang elements that was uh that were established in the past and then it's it it sort of jumps back to the present as well. Parang ano siya, function oh, medyo it's it's kind of functional and then to tell the story. So parang I was reminded of film school when we were we were asked to differentiate plot from story. So I think the maker was trying to get that lot and then trying to to just show the parts of the story that would be relevant to the overall messaging. Parang, when did the... Parang, instead sort of asking, when did the story begin? When did the story really begin? Is it when the suitors arrived or is it when Babbitt arrived?
0: I, I think it's a convenient setting up of character because you see the the sisters really put faith at the forefront of their lives. You know, they have committed to help, uh, assisting their father, pastor. They have deprived themselves or like I mean, abstained themselves from having romantic attachments, and you know they they grew old as spinsters and they're still delivering food to people. And finding maybe love in that, and they're still holding on to the parish that their pastor father has established. So maybe it is functional in setting up the faith of the sisters. I'm actually kind of surprised mm-hmm. that the, we really follow the sisters, not necessarily Babette
1: mm-hmm.
0: in as well. Oh. Uh, we because Babette, we see them, we see Babette come in to their lives, and uh, once in a while we see her alone, but we really experience the film and the trepidations of the characters through the sisters characters I mean when Babette brings the food we go with we what we follow next is the fear that these sisters had and it is their conversations with conversations with one another it, it is their story and that kind of surprised me that it was with them and not necessarily Babette but yeah I think the the extended flash no not flash but jump time jump is more of just setting up character because i'm trying to think of like is there a possibility that we start with Babette's arrival earlier than that but we probably wouldn't i don't know if we would understand the sisters faithfulness as much if we didn't see them immediately deprive themselves of like um Uh, earthly pleasures like in a romance and you know and then their their attitude towards food like good food is sinful that their practice of faith is like depriving themselves of what's good in this life you know that kind of upbringing how how long-standing it is because it was as is when they were still young and they're still holding on to that that's why it, it because of such a, a long-standing norm Babbitt would really feel like a disruption
1: i also agree <laughs> that the, the two sisters are are like the central characters in the film not necessarily Babbitt. although Babbitt was also central in the unfolding of events but the you are correct when you, when you said that it it's the it's really the point of view of the sisters that we follow, especially uh, towards the end. The point of view of uh, Martin in response to the soldier's arrival, because the soldier. What's also funny is because it's it's a very relatable scene, right? when you when you're trying to impress your ex, <laughs>
0: it. I don't know. <laughs> wow. I don't try to impress the ex
1: you're you're not trying to impress exes or (laughs) anyway
0: I'm trying to impress the people who ghosted me wow will this wow Ateneo represent char. (laughs) One of the one of the scenes that kind of pop out in the film is that you know when I think I don't know who was the one who had the nightmare but they uh, someone had the one of the sisters had the nightmare where they were just like witchcraft of Babette it's just really hilarious because that's like it's a visual manifestation of the religious fear of the other. they just think of the worst <laughs> and um and also, um the arrival of the lottery, the ticket for the ten thousand francs is very low key. It's it's very subtle. I love when the film's kinda tones down. I think the whole film is kinda toned down. Even the arrival of the goods is just this you know, there's one of the more exciting moments in the film because it's one of the more unpredictable ones, but it's still in keeping with it with the film's tone of restraining itself from big, big emotions. Um I do want to highlight that it being a religious text, I love that it's about women and their faith. Like, I think a lot of religious text is about men professing their faith. I mean, you get you get something like uh, probably uh, Joan of Arc or you know, stories of people and... In the convent, like nuns, but um, rarely do I think we see stories of common people, common women, uh, who, and about their faith. And what do you think of that angle of the three central characters of this film are three women, and the men are kind of sidelined? <laughs> you know, they're just like uh, either former lover or like whatever, men. <laughs> I love
1: that the film. Poked fun of the main characters, for example, the soldier, whose, uh, parang whose ambition is to, to become someone and then to marry into a prominent family, and then you also have the opera singer who was, who was almost presented as silly, for <laughs> wanting to, yeah, set up for, for failure, for wanting to take Philippa away and then. Even the father was um the father of uh, Philippa and Martin was set up to be kind of selfish for wanting to keep Philippa and Martin uh, around him as arms. So he mentioned that Philippa and Martin were like his left and right arm. So he rejected suit uh, suitors that would have uh, made um at least uh we don't we don't know but um would have uh, changed the course of events for Philippa and Martin. So I really appreciated um that angle where um but at the same time I think it functions as a double-edged sword also when we confine women to to um to perfect Puritan um, to that perfect uh, Puritan image. Parang it's a double-edged sword for um uh, for women. Cause uh, for example, it's it the film is like saying that this is an example of a good woman. This is an example of how how you should um Live your life as a woman. So reject ambition let the men handle ambition. <laughs> let the men be the the popular singers and the popular cooks and just stay back for your faith. But it's sort of also espousing that idea. And I think here is when the we were this will I think it's inevitable that we hearken back to the ideology of the film. Here is when um, we get to see how how masterfully the filmmaker hid the ideology. So you you just at first viewing you just accept what you just accept what um ideology the film gives you because it makes you feel good. For example, if if you're a woman who's who's been living in the house, who has no life except for serving God, and then you get to hear, um, you get to hear Babbitt saying that an artist is never poor, or you get to be validated for being a good woman, and then you'll feel you'll really feel good about the film. But it has its problems when you try to uh, match it with reality.
0: On one hand, it's fascinating to see that the women here, especially like Babette and Philippa and Martine, I think like are even are even better at their faith than the men around them. <laughs> um, because the, the men around them are like, I want my daughters. I want you to be my wife. I want you to be a romantic partner. They, and they're like, no, I have faith. But at the same time, they're even being more selfless. You see Philippe and Martin doing these things, feeding the elderly and the poor of the town. You see Babette feeding the people using 10,000 francs. But at the same time, it would be... Uh, it's hard to... And I don't know if the film was even conscious about it. Faith? Most faiths, especially Christian faith, tend to put women in boxes. Mm. And faith, mostly, if not all the times, is very patriarchal. Mm. So women are expected to be more selfless, you know, serve the father, serve the husband, serve the. And they have to be uh, pure and you have to dress up in a certain way there is the gender expectation even in um, Faith that it's pro- probably has more gender expectations to women than men. Um, in terms of How they dress, how they cook, how they should not be that different, how they should be um, meek and quiet and just follow the men in the house. That gender politics, not just in, in the film, but in the realm of Faith, I think that's one of the things that I feel... that the, 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 the film didn't go to but at the same time it just comes to me because i think you know um you know i i believe you also believe but i think we're also more conscious of like um when something is gendered or like why is a certain thing gendered why are we setting more expectations to women than men why should women wait for men to court them? meanwhile men have adulteries even you know so that boxing or limiting of women I don't think the film explored but it's just something that came to my mind like when we're talking about it now because it's interesting that the film focused on um, women being the center of this film about faith but at the same time are we supposed to see women now as you know in terms especially with discussions with faith um, it's almost they're too good to be true and you're setting up this it's almost the same way as you know when we show little girls like f- pictures of models like you know models and like beauty queens like it's it's a very high standard for beauty and and it's also it it can have different effects on women on people especially like if they see someone too beautiful or too upright Are they going to close themselves and just try to fit the mold? Or, you know, I mean, you can expound on that more if you want. I'm sorry.
1: I'm not comfortable with the idea that um, Martin just forgave the soldier for leaving her. And then it was presented in such a way that uh, you would think it's natural for women to be forgiving. Parang I like the I like that the film was trying to uh, parang embarrass or poke fun of the soldier, but then at the end, he says some silly promise that he will think of <laughs> of Martin forever, and then leaves, and then Martin just sort of accepts it. So there are. There are gendered experiences in the film that I think you would say that the film is already outdated in terms of the way it um, or maybe it's not outdated, maybe it's just consistent with the Christian ideology because as you said uh that's the image that um, uh, the Christian faith would um, endorse when it comes to women. It's really in the likelihood of the Virgin Mary. Or if there's a character, if there's a character there that is, um, that is parang, it would be the complete binary naman. It's, it would be in the uh, parang likelihood of Magdalene so parang the cat the or the christian faith would limit uh, women into those uh, two categories but maybe that's where babett comes to the rescue because we were du- we were discussing a while ago that babett is the mysterious character you don't know if she's going to be a sinister character or she's going to be parang hindi parang hindi babbitt is not enough to the way babbitt was portrayed is not enough to um to subvert the idea of gender the way for example i'm just thinking of the film himala so it's a religious text but it outwardly challenges uh gender expectations as opposed to babbitt's film so himala as a film i don't i don't recall the year but if you would compare Himala to Babbitt's film, Himala certainly was more successful in challenging gender stereotypes than than this uh, Western film, Babbitt's Feast.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. I don't think Babbitt's Feast was even intending to challenge it. Um, <laughs> you know, because it's just a, manif- in a manifestation of... yeah a manifestation of a story about faith, basically. Um, you know, I have become really interested in reading, uh, uh, more biblical text with female characters, because how did we, how did we write women in regards to faith, with regards to faith? Um, how, because uh, I, and also in the Bible a lot, there. I think there are only a few if, very few books where I think a woman wrote it, but a lot of the biblical text is written by men um, and they write about female characters and even in the Bible there are fewer female characters than men, and this film is based on a story by Karen Blixen but the screenplay and the director is by Gabriel Oxen, who's a man. So I'm just, I think, I don't know, I'm becoming more conscious of like, how are we trying, how are we giving, what models are we giving women in terms of faith? Because like you said, it's almost like a binary. You get someone like Mary, who is ever virgin, you know, became pregnant by Immaculate Conception, selfless mother to Jesus. And then you have someone, and another end is Magdalene, who is, um, you know, when seven demons went out of her and she was a, a, a sinful person before, you know, she changed. I think that's something that a lot of faithful can tend to forget. Magdalene changed. Okay. She's not this sinner forever. I just, it, it's unfair for her. Um, but at the same time, and you also see, um, people like Priscilla and I don't know, and Aquila. I don't know. Um, the, the Christian believers who, uh, were ready to be decapitated to save Paul, in the times of, of Paul's um, evangelization, um, and you know, and even Magdalene became one of the true believers. So I don't know. It's just like it feels confining. But at the same time, the thing I like about Babbitt, is, for example, with, with um, Jesus Christ when when he came in to the um, Jewish Jew. To the Jewish society then you know Jew- Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ he is who he is he is an epitome of goodness but at the same time in the context of the status quo at the time he was a disruptor you know he wasn't afraid to call out like authorities to disrupt things in the temple um, he was a disruptor so that's why I think Babette kind of comes in because he is a disruptor he's more complex he doesn't fit in necessarily the female mold of a believer, which Martina and Felipe, I think they do. They do fit in the mold of the female believer, female faithful quite well. So I don't know. That's something that just sticks out to me more recently in my life, you know, becoming more conscious. And, you know, even if we believe in things and sometimes we have our own, you know, conflicts and uh, uh, we have our own contradictions, you know, I mean, I mean, that's one of the things that is the most um, kind of criticisms of the Christian faith or any kind of faith in that matter. You know The religious faith is that um, people tend to think it's outdated or that it puts people in boxes. Which um, And how do you resolve it as someone who kind of agrees to it but at the same time believes in it? So, you know, it's it's a, it's a contradiction. And it, we kind of try to resolve it in our own ways. But I don't know. I think Babbit's Feast was just comfortably in there and nudging those conversations, which is not a demerit, but it's a fascinating conversation since rarely do we see films about faith with women at a center, I think. Or just maybe if I'm missing out, send me a list of films. <laughs> I mean, I just remember very few. And, you know, we have here, Babbit's Feast. And it's rare to talk about like films in the Oscar conversation about faith. It's very rare um is there anything else you'd like to out uh, oh i do want to highlight the three actresses stefan odran as babette bodil Kier as philippa and burgette fiderspiel as martin i think they're all three very strong performers and i also love the rest of the town a lot of those are actors um going back to the silent era and just like each character has something on going on for them. They're not none of the actors are blank slates. I just I love this cast and um great acting. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: The word that you used was a uh, contradiction. So I think as long as we're reminded of uh, of that, we can uh, we can actively reconcile or even rewrite our fate as long as we're conscious of um of how it is um, damaging or freeing to us, we can actively choose which parts of our faith we can retain and then which parts we can maybe rewrite because that also gives women some sort of agency.
0: Yeah, and um, in some ways that makes you a better believer in that when you start to ask questions and not just accept everything as is. You know, when you when you're more conscious, like, for example, um, you know, you'll have, you'll have uh, people who like, for example, in, in my case, you know, I'm not straight, but I know the Bible is very uh, heteronormative. Mm-mm. How do you reconcile that? And, you know, it's always a, an everything, the, a, an everyday, not just everyday, but it's a, it's a constant um, conversation within oneself and in myself. Like, how do you deal with that? I mean, what's, he, you know, it's it's more complex, but at the same time, it makes you more conscious instead of people just, you know, oh, I was born here, you know, I was born a Christian, and like, I don't know, whatever. But when you start to have those conversations, even within yourself, like, oh, well, I am I am a feminist, but at the same time, when they read the Bible, there are some certain things that are probably not the most feminist things in the larger scheme of things. How do we reconcile that, you know? And also, like, um... Uh, queer people who all who believe in the christian faith like how do you reconcile what you read and what you live in your life it's it's a it's it's what life it's what life is you know it's it's complex it's not it's not oh you do good everything goody goody it's all complex oh yeah i can pin in pain
1: give it out
0: I med det hele tog det i frank. jeg du skulle ikke have gjort det, hvor vores skyld. Det var ikke alene for dit skulde. Så bliver du altså fattig nu hele dit liv. En konsort er aldrig fat. But a certain sort of animator had will ever tell them Bokka for young, eh? All right. So let's talk about how Babbitt's Feast won the Oscar because it wasn't the favorite. Um, it premiered in Denmark on August 28th of 1987. It premiered at Cannes in the Uncertain Regard section in May where it won the prize of the Ecumenical Jury special mention. It landed in the Toronto International Film Festival on September 18th. My birthday, Woo! and New York Film Festival October 1 it screened in American cinemas in March 4, 1988 again this was Denmark's first win and fourth nomination so it was nominated for the Golden Globe in 1988 it won in the BAFTA in 1988 where it was also nominated for Best Film Best Director Best Actress Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Cinematography uh, it also won in Kansas for a foreign language film. U.S. box office is $4.4 million. Mm, see, <clears throat> So the group of nominees that it had involves uh, one classic and three not-so-popular titles. So the films are Au revoir from France, Course Completed from Spain, The Family from Italy, and Pathfinder from Norway. Alright, so I know you've seen one of these. Um, can you tell me first why did... Because I gave you um, access to all these nominees. Tell me first why did you choose this film to watch and then tell me what's the title of the film. So
1: I watched uh, Course Completed aside from Babbitt's film. I really intended to watch all the films... Kaso, ano I parang my internet was was ano challenging me so i only got to watch the the one that you sent earlier course completed and then i'll i'll, I'll watch the i'm sorry other films you gave me so it was a i it, you oh it's a practical.
0: Uh-oh. oh too late too late Pero
1: the the parang i I chose course completed it's it's like a practical decision in the, not out of uh, i was more interested with this film or or whatever
0: yeah yeah all right so course completed from spain um it was nominated for no, it won the goya for Best Director and was nominated for Best Production Manager. I don't know how you give awards for Production Managers, but uh, it's about a writer who is having a midlife crisis. So then he has conversations with people that he had an affair with, had affairs with, mm-hmm. and some other people in his life. <laughs> and then... Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go. What do you think of Course Completed? It's one of the harder films to find from this lineup. I just have to say that already. It had,
1: it had a uh, strong start when the the male writer was having a monologue, and then the camera is, um, what do you call this? Dali in. I appreciate. Oh, oh, I dali in pala. Dali in on him. I appreciated those uh parang those parts when the writer would showcase his literary genius and go on a um, monologue but I'm not I'm not sure maybe it was because it's a male character and then I'm not too I'm not too drawn because I was interested more with the with the girlfriend of uh, of the writer and then the son of the writer the more of the character surrounding him and then the the female character who committed suicide and that was the death that was life changing for the male character so i'm not that comfortable with the with the male character being the central character and then the suicide being the uh, like an extra event for him to have the the life changing moment, diba? To mature as a uh, to realize that he is egoistic, he is selfish. And then the, the lines, it, parang, is the, parang you know, <laughs> I'm not that comfortable with the lines because it's too stagey. Parang is that really how you would talk? Especially with with the scene between the father and son, it's it's just too dramatic.
0: Yeah. Um. The thing with course completed is that all right. So I have to acknowledge this film was written and directed mm-hmm. by Jose Luis Gatti. Uh, this is his third nomination this decade, but it's the first film we're talking about. And as I see in the other films, it was nominated for. They're also about writers having conversations with random people. So I don't know if this is just his shtick of just having writer character in the center, an old man, and then conversations that he has. Um, course completed. You know, I'm with you. I really liked the beginning because you know I thought we were going to get something more interesting because the first scene is about a man, a, a, the actor breaking the fourth wall. And like okay you know what we're gonna have conversations let's go with it and um and I you know me I don't mind films about long conversations that's my jam like you know and I write that way <laughs> I have long conversations um and you know it's not it's not a detriment I, I, I see people like con- film, I see some films being criticized for just being about conversations. That's not fair. I don't think they're fair. A film is not less cinematic just because they have more dialogue. Um, But it's really in how it is staged. And with Course Completed, I don't mind it. But at the same time, there's really nothing to it that Gives me that, you know, has much stakes. Um, and it's not because it's a simple having conversation setup, it's because of the conversations they were having. Sometimes it's very maudlin and then sometimes it goes big without the seamless transition in between. Um, I do feel some misogynistic tendencies when it was um, having, you know, the women, you know, the affairs that he was having. Um, the most interesting chapter was with the son because the son actually had AIDS and the son didn't immediately disclose to the father that he had AIDS. And there is this um distance between the two. But at the same time, I didn't get that they were father and son until later in the film. Um, which I don't know what that speaks to the writing or the acting um, but that's the most interesting chapter of the film and it let go of that early on I think there's this one chapter where the sun drops that I think that's the most interesting part of the film So of course completed it's quite short but um, there's nothing to it that stands out
1: mm. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a merit in the film I, <laughs> I, no. think uh, um, I think it's I think it also bothered me the way it presented writers. It, it romanticized writers that writers are special, writers have a way of thinking, and then writers speak this way, they talk this way, they will strip yeah. you off your feet. Mm, but well
0: but at, and their struggle is beautiful
1: and yeah but at the same time the film also made a statement that uh, no this is not a um this is not a perfect uh figure but then even the imperfection was romanticized parang you get what i'm saying parang it presented an imperfect writer but the imperfection was romanticized parang parang Charles Bukowski type <laughs> na irresponsible father and then the romantic lover and it's a little bit cliche siguro parang
0: actually the- my problem is that mm-hmm. my problem with the film is that it doesn't come to life
1: ah, the characters are not
0: you see people having conversations
1: uh, uh, could can, can it be that the characters are not that human enough parang they're more of types, parang writer type and then the actress type and then the irresponsible son type, parang they're more of parang
0: uh ganun I would have understood that if this was a more of a parable like story that's why the the ambiguity of Babbitt worked because that's the nature of the film this one is very matter of fact that's why I don't think the ambiguities work because I think with pieces like this where it's mostly conversations like for example like before the before series you have to be very detailed with the character work or be deliberately ambiguous mm-hmm. so that it works I don't think this one either it doesn't really either it's not detailed enough or the details are not that interesting. Um, and you also see these scenes where... I said, I don't think a lot of the se- the dialogue scenes... I think a lot of them went on for too long. That um, it doesn't feel organic anymore, the conversations that they were having. It's just like, some of the... Um, histrionics of the father of the writer with his son in the apartment where they would they were like um dramatizing like Tennessee Williams or something. It re- it went to a point where the conversations weren't flowing organically enough already. Mm-mm. That's where you see the artifice of the whole setup. Because I don't mind long conversations at all.
1: And and even uh films that stay on the surface, I don't mind them or films that uh, throw random uh random conversations or random scenes. I do I don't really mind the randomness or the incoherence. I could take a film, an incoherent film or a random film, but with this a uh, film, you can feel that it's trying to establish something. That's why maybe the incoherence and then the randomness of some scenes. Uh Parang didn't feel um, as parang didn't feel as natural as it should it should be in the film. Parang for example, there's a call where when uh, he he tells a story about a man who is who has been in prison for too long and then when he he's he's finally set free, he he accidentally uh parang has parang sexual relations with his daughter so for example that's that scene is meant to be completely random and if if this was any other film I would appreciate the randomness or parang I'm just worried that it would it would seem as if um we're appreciating the formalist perspective more because that's how Babbitt's film uh, work. it's a formalist film. That's why I'm I'm trying to say that it's not because a uh, course completed failed in some formal techniques, uh, but but some other thing. Uh, maybe the way it humanized the characters or or um, yun, the way it handled randomness and incoherence.
0: Yeah, and I think it's supposed to be like a reflection of some sort. It's supposed to be like a piece about reflection. Um I did not get that uh feeling of it being I think it I think it I think the film's I think the film thinks it's deeper than mm-hmm. it actually is.
1: It's, oh, that's um, right. parang with Babette's face it's trying to it's trying to poke fun of itself. And then here comes Course Completed. It's too serious for its own good. It's parang, parang it's earnest. It's, yeah. it's meant to be uh, taken as it is. So maybe that's where some of the cringe uh, feelings come in.
0: Yeah. So I am looking forward to seeing the other two films from the same writer-director <laughs> because I feel like they have the same setup. And he actually won in 1982. <laughs> So let's see how that works out. <gasps> but I also love that his films are short, mm-hmm. and um, they're dialogue driven. And then,
1: parang uh, no, he draws from ano, uh, he draws from French New Wave films. It's very obvious, naman, no the way he would, um, he would put in or uh, he would use randomness in the film, or the way he would um lengthen the conversations. Parang he's he's drawing from. Uh, French New Wave talaga, or Godard, or something like that.
0: I mean, I I don't think I have seen any of the French New Wave films. Oh, no! (laughs) Um, I just burped on record. (laughs) But also, um, I don't know. I think the film should have worked even without that reference. If it is indeed referencing French New Wave. I... I don't see why it sticks out as one of the top five. Um, goodbye, course completed. <laughs> no, but actually, it's not the film that bothered me the most from this lineup. Um, the other one that really bothered me is the family from Italy. It premiered in Cannes. It's um, it's about a story of a family that lived in a flat um for decades. That's where they had, you know, the film started with the protagonist as a baby and the film ended with him being the grandfather of the family. But it's just the film, the family's story uh, in that flat uh, and how they have their own life events. The film never leaves that flat. Um, So, again, that's one of the things that I kind of like, you know films being stuck in one place. I mean, the, the two short films that I, almost all of the short films I made are stuck in one place. But, again, that film, I don't know. I love the the form I was trying to experiment on, but it doesn't fly at all. I think it's a period piece that doesn't really come to life. Um, And I can't really much, say much about the story because I, it's, it's one of those where we follow the, the premise, which is being in that apartment the, for decades. It doesn't really have a cohesive story. It's really about the family. Um, uh, one of the lesser films that Italy has been nominated for. And then Pathfinder from Norway. It's about um, a, a man, an Eskimo. I'm oh, sorry. A man who lives in cold places. <laughs> I have to get this one right. A Pathfinder. It's about um, a, a hunter gatherer who witnesses his family be murdered by um, violent nomads. So then he because he was running away from them. He falls into another tribe which offers protection from him, uh, for him. You know what? This is one. Of, this is the most surprising film in the lineup because it is very exciting, very short, very exciting. It's a. It's almost like a survivalist tale set in cold and snow and in nature. Biggest problem, and it's the the action sequences are also very eighties. You know, the zooming in yeah. suddenly zoom in and that music, but it's it works so well. My only problem is that the violent nomads. Are so one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. You don't even understand why they're being violent at all.
1: Violent. And that
0: oh. throws me off because they're so motivated. Like, I would understand that are they killing people for for what? You know, for what? I mean, even the most awful human beings uh do things, I think, for a reason, you know. I don't know. I don't know anymore about the nature of human <laughs> human beings, but I just, in the film story-wise, a film level, I just don't, I can't go there in the depiction of these violent nomads, but it's an exhilarating film. And uh, I I think, I don't know if it, what's its status in Norwegian cinema, but it is really good. And um, the last one, the most famous actually of this lineup is Au revoir la from France, it won the Golden Lion in Venice. It was nominated for Golden Globe in BAFTA in 1988. Uh, it was nominated it won Best Director in BAFTA. It won Chicago, Los Angeles, New York in 1988, and one of the top five of National Board of Review. It was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars. It's about a, a, a boy who is in a boarding school who sees another boy come in. And actually that boy is Jewish. And they were hiding that boy from the Nazis that are occupying France. That whole school is hiding this Jewish boy. Um, I know that it is autobiographical. It's based on the director's actual experience in a boarding school, and he had a friend that was killed uh, by the Nazis. Um, I don't know if that prior information... Affected me. Because it felt very personal. The film felt very personal. And um, it's a different take on the Holocaust. I mean. Holocaust is such a common place for this category. But. I, I think you would appreciate it writer to writer. Writer to writer. <laughs> I think as writer to writer. You will appreciate Orvala Zanfone. On how it builds. Um, this world. Because it is a Holocaust film. And yet. Yeah. <laughs> This is the most famous film on the line. Even more famous than Babbitt's Fist. So, <laughs> so um, Yeah. I should have... You should what? have told me too. Anyway. Yeah, so the, <laughs> Instead, of course, completed. So that's a group of nominees. Um, this year, there were two films nominated that in other categories. The first one is Dark Eyes from Italy and Soviet Union. It won Best Actor in Khan. Golden Globe nomination BAFTA nomination in 89 National Board of Review top 5 it's nominated for best actor Marcello Mastroianni it's about an Italian man who falls in love with a married Russian woman and the second film is My Life as a Dog from Sweden this one is the big winner this year Mm -hmm. because in the foreign language film awards it was the one that won everything it, was, it won Golden Globe, it won BAFTA, it won Boston, it won New York, it won a Spirit, Top 5 National Board of Review, even got a nomination for Directors Guild of America. Mm-hmm. And it was nominated for Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay. But it wasn't submitted by Sweden. Mm-hmm. It's about a young boy who has to move away after his mother died. I appreciated the so you've seen the film. I, I've seen the yeah. the
1: start of the film, and I can only speak uh, like with the technicalities, but it it feels more modern than Babbitt's face and course completed. So that's one thing. It speaks more of it's more realist than the than the than the two films, which is why maybe it won those awards because considering the time that it was produced, parang it's way ahead of its time, with the way it handled the elements. Parang it, it felt it almost felt like it was Para it was produced recently. Parang th- that's how I felt with the, with the film, with the language, with the way it's handling cinematography and all. it's really ahead of its time.
0: Yeah, it feels like it feels like an an old fashioned made recently than a film made at that time. Um it is considered one of the classics of this year. Um honestly, I kind of understand the adapted screenplay nomination. I don't understand the best director nomination from 1987, but um what I will say is that it, it feels tender. It feels genuinely tender in terms of its story of this boy. Um, it has kind of this circular, uh, this recurring imagery of the boy in the beach with the mother. And I don't know. It, this is a film where, um, you know, Leslie Halstrom, the director, I think he makes films that feel soft. That's not a a criticism, and that's not negative ne- negative or positive. It's a very neutral um, comment. You know, his film *The Cider House Rules* I really did not like at all. His film *Chocolat* I loved. There is this certain softness in his films. I think it works well here. I don't think it's anything extraordinary, but at the same time, it is. It goes into certain levels of like class and um, childhood, childhood gr- juvenile grief. And a little bit of gender as well. Um, I did note, I had a friend told me who read Inside Oscar, My Life as a Dog had an aggressive Oscar campaign at the time. So that's probably why it got director and adapted screenplay. But it's one of those cases where it could not have been submitted because it was first screened in Sweden in 1985. So it would not be eligible this year anymore. But, you know... I like seeing a typical nominees because I li- I think maybe you could speak something about it um, with directing. I think recently especially it has been more focused to like the big technical achievements, you know, the one take, the you know, that's what is being canonized as best directing. And I like I kind of like seeing these kind of like small gentle films being recognized in directing, because it's very um, taken for granted that kind of style of directing.
1: You mentioned about directors with um, quiet with a quiet voice, or so the director that came to mind was Greta Greta Gerwig. So maybe you're pointing to something <laughs> about um. About the institution itself or
0: whatever, so not necessarily. I'm just saying that it feel it feels it feels uh, refreshing, you know. Even if I don't understand all of it, it feels refreshing to see a different kind of directing being recognized. Because I look at this year, I see The Last Emperor, which is this huge epic about the, the emperor of China. You have Fatal Attraction, with this um uh highly tense. Erotic Thriller. You have Moonstruck. Is this is really funny. Romantic comedy. With a very specific Italian flavor. And has very specific timing. In terms of humor. Uh, and I haven't seen Hoping Glory. Uh, but those were the other directing nominees. And You have My Life as a Dog. Which is this. Small scale period. Uh, childhood drama about grief, about him. Uh, it is very refreshing. Even if I might not agree with it. <laughs> it's just refreshing. Uh, yeah. So there were 30 submissions this year. First time is Indonesia. From all the nominees, the most popular is Wings of Desire from West Germany. It won Best Director at Cannes. It it was nominated in the BAFTA in 1988. Was not, it won Spirit Awards in 1989. In the Los Angeles Film Critics, it won Foreign Language Film and Cinematography. In National Society Film Critics, Cinematography. And New York Film Critics, Cinematography. It's about invisible angels who observe human beings around Berlin. I just want to mention that because I think that's one of the favorites at the time, and it's now heralded as one of the best films ever. I remember seeing this for a cinematography class because I think the film has a mixture of black and white and color. Um, I don't remember anymore if I liked it or not. I, I do remember is that it is deliberately paced, so I think it's worth rewatching. Wings of Desire from West Germany. There are 29 more films. Yeah. While you're searching Wings of Desire now, I'm just going to run down the rest of the submissions. Man Facing Southeast from Argentina. It period in Toronto. It's about a patient in a mental hospital who claims to be an extraterrestrial. Oh, and by the way, a lot of these summaries are from IMDb, so... (laughs) just don't want anyone accusing me of plagiarism. And then Welcome in Vienna from Austria. It premiered in Toronto. It's part of a trilogy. It's about a Viennese Jew who emigrated to New York after Hitler's invasion and a a left-wing intellectual who was born in Berlin who returns to Austria in 1944 after the fall of the Nazi occupation. The Cruel Embrace from Belgium, it's about a rape victim and her hostile relationship with her ostracized son, the result of that tragic event. Subway to the Stars from Brazil, it premiered at Cannes, it's about a young saxophone player from Rio's poor suburbs, Um, and then his girlfriend who disappears. Night Zoo from Canada, it premiered at Cannes. Most wins in the Genie Awards. It won 13 out of 14 awards. It's about a prisoner who goes out to find his dying father and girlfriend, who is now a prostitute. Hibiscus Town from China. It premiered in Carlo Vivari. It won a Crystal Globe Grand Prix. It's about love, humiliation, and politics in a distant village of China during the Cultural Revolution. A successful man from Cuba. It premiered in Cannes. The regard section is about a young man who survives decades-long political change, while his leftist brother is persecuted. Forbidden Dreams from Czechoslovakia. It premiered in Cannes. It's about a travel agent who loses his job because he's Jewish, and then he kills a deer so that he could give to his he could give something to his sons that will be sent to the concentration camp. The Snow Queen from Finland, it is an adaptation of Christian Hans Christian Andersen's longest story about a queen who captured two children. Theophilus from Greece, it premiered in Berlin. It's about the life and death of Theophilus, the major fol- folk, folk. <laughs> painter of modern Greek art. Diary for My Lovers from Hungary, it won Silver Bear in Berlin. It is about an 18-year-old woman who is determined to become a film director. White Whales from Iceland. It's about two experienced whale hunters who decided to settle down in Reykjavik. Nayakan from India. It is in Tamil. It is about the transformation of an ordinary slum dweller to an underground don. Nagabonar from Indonesia. It's an epic war comedy. It's about a pickpocket who declares himself a general in 1945 until he becomes a true soldier i Give a Damn from Israel, it's about a war veteran who becomes wheelchair-ridden after being shot in the stomach. Zagan from Japan, a primitive directed by Shoei Mamura. It's the story of Iheji Maraoka, a man who built brothels for the Japanese military. Life is most important. From Mexico. It premiered in Moscow. It's about a wanderer that arrives to Don Lázaro's hacienda. And then he attracts the attention of the Don's wife. Count Your Blessings. From Netherlands. It's a comedy. It's about different families living on three floors of an Amsterdam building. Where it shows urban suffering at the time. Hero of the Year. From Poland. It premiered in Moscow. It's about a smooth-talking hustler who was fired from his job in 1981, who is making a comeback with a show called Hero of the Year, Repentance from Soviet Union, it premiered in Cannes, Grand Prix, Golden Globe nomination. It was produced in 1984, but was banned. It was only released in 1986 or 87. It's about um, a mayor of a town that died <laughs> And then after his funeral, his body is repeatedly unearthed and buried again. It was banned for um, connections to Stalinism. Hip Hip Hurrah from Sweden. It premiered in Venice. It's about the life of Scandinavian artists in Skagen on the Danish coast during the 1890s. If the Sun Never Returns from Switzerland. It's about a divided village in 1937. When a man made a prediction that war will break and sun will never shine again. Osmanthu's Alley from Taiwan. It's about a Tihong whose parents died when she was 12. And then she became famous for her embroidery and um, eventually marries into a rich family. And Reflections from Yugoslavia. A psychological horror. It's about a piano teacher deeply traumatized by the events of his childhood as well as political oppression in his youth. Decades later, all those traumas lead to carnage. So those are the 30 submissions, including the nominees. And some of the films that were not submitted, but were around that time, are Under the Son of Satan from France, It won Palme d'Or at Cannes. It's about a rural priest who gets involved with a woman accused of murder. Yilin from Mali. It won jury prize at Cannes. It's about a young woman, young man with magical powers journeys to his uncle to request help in fighting his sorcerer father. Shinran, Path the Purity from Japan. It tied with Yilin for jury prize. It's about the start of Buddhism in Japan during the 12th century. A Girl from Hunan from China. It premiered at Uncertain regard section. It's one of the first mainland Chinese films to screen in the United States. It's about a 12-year-old girl who comes to a mountain village for an arranged marriage with a two-year-old boy. Robin Sonata, or My English Grandfather, from Soviet Union. It won camera door in Cannes. It's about... In the 1920s, an engineer in the USSR declares three yards surrounding each telegraph pole as British territory to create safe havens for his local lover. Now, um, Intervista from Italy. It premiered in Cannes and in Moscow. It's about Federico Fellini accepting the request of a television crew to be interviewed. The theme from Soviet Union. It won Golden Bear in Berlin. Heavily censored in 1979 and then released in full in 1986. It's about a self-pitying but popular playwright who drives to Vladimir to relax with a female student and another writer. The Sea and Poison from Japan. It won Jury Grand Prize in Berlin. It's about American soldiers performing medical experiments on... Ah, sorry. American soldiers... No. Japanese facilities during World War II performing medical experiments on American soldiers. Vera from Brazil, it won Best Actress in Berlin. It's about a young trans man who grows up in an institution for minors who falls in love with a woman. The Moro Affair from Italy, it won Best Actor in Berlin. It's about the 1978 kidnapping of former Italian Prime Minister Aldo Moro. Year of Enlightenment from Spain. It won Silver Bear in Berlin, directed by Fernando Trueba. It's about a 16-year-old man's love and sex post-Spanish Civil War. Muwe Sang from France. It won the Alfred Bauer Prize in Berlin, directed by Leo Cara. It's about a not-so-distant future in Paris where there is an STD from having sex without emotional connection. And then in Venice, The Surrogate Woman from South Korea. One best actress. It's about a barren noble woman who encourages her husband to take a young peasant as a surrogate to secure the male line during the Joseon Dynasty. A lot of films are just listed, but hopefully, um, after this episode, you know, these films don't just become titles anymore. You hear their summaries, and probably you would be interested in checking them out. So that's it. So, jail, jail, jail. Let's uh, go to the final question. I've asked this before and I will ask you this again. Having talked about Babbitt's Feast, uh, do you think it was a deserving winner that year?
1: Um I mean I I would consider it a timeless film in a in a way, so um it it's deserving as a winner because you can go back to the film even after so many years have passed and then still appreciate the sentiment that's being offered by the film. But that being said, you have a film like uh, Life is a Dog, which feels very contemporary, and then you don't have the, the problems with the uh, gender undertones. And then you also have... Uh, the, the film you were talking about with um, the film from France which I'm also interested in watching so it's a difficult question to answer because uh, because of probably because I have uh, these other films that I that I still need to watch or consider but uh, Babette's film itself um, I, I appreciated the sentiments but as we as we discussed a while ago, uh, th- there's the gender thing to consider, which is kind of holding me back.
0: Mm. It's not uh, a negligible uh, issue to be discussed. It's certainly something to be unpacked, mm-hmm. not just in the context of the film, but um, in the context of believers in general. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> Babbitt's Fist, Rabbit's Feast, it's a film that this is the third time in a row that I've said that I don't mind the winner because it's not my favorite from the lineup, but at the same time, it offers some valuable things. And, you know, what? the more we talked about it, the more I liked the film. So I it, credit to our discussion mm-hmm. for that. Um, it's a film that you can take on surface level. You know what? I enjoyed it. It was light. It was fun. Great food. Great, you know, and all that. But at the same time, once you unpack it, there's so much more. So you can take it as a simple film. You can take it as a complex film. It works either way. Um, And I'm glad, you know, that something as sweet natured as this got the top prize because that doesn't always happen. Um, But in terms of my ranking... My number five is The Family. My number four is Course Completed. My number three is Babbitt's Feast. My number two is Pathfinder. And my number one is Au revoir, les enfants. Which is actually interesting because just after I asked you, do you think it was a deserving winner? I had Pathfinder in number one. And Avolaza in Number Two, I just switched it while we were talking about it. But um, Avolaza Four has a reputation of its own already, so it's easy to catch that. But Pathfinder, it's a glorious eighties action set in the period. Um, getting past the one-dimensional villains, but anyway, uh, this is a pretty good lineup with two, eh, two mm-hmm. um, really middle-of-the-road films. But anyway, uh, with that, Jail, thank you so much for joining me again. Jill. We already discussed about you coming back. We're finding an episode for that. I really appreciate our discussions. It's always thoughtful. You always see something that I didn't see Um you know, we, we, we talk as, you know, we talk as writers, we talk as editors, you talk as a cinematographer, we talk as filmmakers and film lovers. But there's so much to back every time we discuss a film. Like, even the simplest of film of films becomes this complex discussion. So, yeah, I, I really love every time you come by. And um, can you tell our listeners again, where can they find you on the internet?
1: Thanks for inviting me again. And you can invite me anytime, you know, that
0: uh, you can find
1: me with the phone. <laughs> I'm I'm always, uh, I'm not actually active in Twitter, but if you want to find me, you can find me there. And yeah, if you want to talk about films and stuff, I'm up for it. Always up for it. My Twitter handle is Mir- Mirma Depon at Mirma Depon.
0: You can find me on Twitter at Carlos Ohana. This podcast at Punish Barrier. This podcast is everywhere. Again, um, the first episode of the 2019 retrospective is already up on the Patreon page. Uh, second episode coming soon. We've already talked about Pabrador Almodovar's painting Glory. Uh, we'll wait. Which oh, the second film to be discussed. Uh, again, I'm wishing you all well. This is a goodbye for now. And together, let us break this one inch back